if you looked at any of the companies that have had big breaches, they all have huge security staffs. But unfortunately, they are not fit for purpose. Security as an industry hasn't really done itself a great deal of favors in terms of modernizing. When you, as a company, know that negligent breach can cost you 4% of global turnover if you're doing business in Europe, you will invest in keeping that from happening. There's no technical solution to human stupidity. If we have no sense of a precautionary principle, really bad things can happen. The reason we have regulated industries is because bad shit can happen. Hi, I'm Guy Pojarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybeats.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic for us to discuss, find us on Twitter at The Secure Dev. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning back in to The Secure Developer. With me today, I have James Governor from Redmonk. Hello, James. Yeah, hey, Guy. How are you? Uh, so thanks for coming on the show. You know, it's uh, been, uh, been a while. Wanted to uh, kind of get you on. Can you, just to kick us off, tell us a little bit about yourself and about Redmonk? Yeah, sure. I'm an industry analyst, but uh, don't hold that against me. You know, I think that Redmonk looks at the world somewhat differently from the more traditional firms, the Gartners and Foresters and so on. They have a model that is really about client inquiries from enterprises, top-down purchasing, legal procurement, RFP theater, that sort of view of the world that you know, technology is something that is done to the people that actually have to do the work. I think Redmonk is much more about bottom-up adoption, so looking at the decisions the developers are making, that engineers are making, that the admins are making, and you know, increasingly in a world with you know, cloud, social in terms of, of you know, look at things like GitHub and NPM and so on, uh, the simple fact is, is that we're not in a world of permission anymore. So it's not to say that, that the top-down thing is no longer relevant, but there is another way of understanding technology adoption and we focus on the practitioner view and really see ourselves as sort of developer advocates, practitioner advocates, and we'll try and encourage, whether it's enterprises, service providers, or software companies to just do a better job of serving uh, the developers and then hopefully they'll get better business results. Very cool. Yeah, definitely the sort of the, the bottom-up version of the, uh, of the analyst, you know, sort of reach them out. Um, well, I'll definitely hear about Redmonk all the time from the sort of language uh, uh, analysis to the you know presence in pretty much every event and kind of have the ear of I think pretty pretty much any big uh, or even not big uh, cloud provider or dev tooling uh, entity you know that's relevant there. We've been lucky, I think, as a research firm to deal with a secular shift is quite challenging. When you're small, I guess it's easier, but certainly I would say traditionally at least a lot of our revenues are driven by vendors. And obviously some of those vendors are disappearing. I mean, you look at a company like HP, and then you're like, wow, it's turned into HPE, and then like Microfocus, which is this small Newbury company, is like now buying a big swath of it. You know, obviously for the likes of IBM, there are all sorts of challenges. So the fact that we've now got clients that we're doing a lot of work in that are the new uh, generation of companies, I think is, is super important. I mean, if you're not doing business with you know, Amazon, Google, companies like that, 
you're not really going to know what's what's going on in modern software development. So, yeah, I think we're we're in pretty good shape. Cool. So you talk a lot about you know many things <laughs> in the, in the world, specifically uh, a lot about DevOps, what's right and wrong, kind of have a perspective around you know cloud dev driven uh, technologies. Where do we evolve? So I guess kind of over the course of the next uh, little while, we'll chat about how security plays into you know kind of all of that world. So I guess as we as we dig in, you know, what what do you see? You look at you know this the world of of developers, you know, of DevOps, of sort of companies as a whole. Uh, they need to be secure. What do you see as the sort of the biggest uh, problems right now, or like kind of the the gaps of you know where we are for where we want to be? Well, I think the gaps are really massive. We frankly got an industry that has failed. Security as a separate thing is just not a model that works anymore, and yet we've got entire industries, you know, audit, compliance, you know, look at the security in the big banks or, I mean, let me tell you, if you looked at any of the companies that have had big breaches, <laughs> they all have huge security staffs. But unfortunately, they are not fit for purpose. You know, if it turns out that the problem is a vulnerability in struts in an older version that you haven't fixed, I'm pretty sure that auditors had signed off on all of the processes there. But then you end up with a really significant breach. So I think security as an industry hasn't really done itself a great deal of favors in terms of modernizing and becoming, as I say, fit for purpose in the new world. Then you've just got all of the, well, what does it actually mean to secure infrastructure when it's running on the cloud? We've gone from, oh, the cloud is insecure, to, oh, don't worry, the cloud is completely secure, to, oh, shit, it really isn't. (laughs) And so I think thinking about the cloud undoubtedly can be more secure, but that doesn't by definition mean it is. That's the gap that we need to address as an industry. So you know, I'm totally with you on the need for this inclusive security. Security is everybody's problem. I guess I, I think of it as, as the fact that nobody can keep up anymore, right? You've got the developers, you've got the ops teams that are just like they're running. You know, we're innovating, we're changing stuff all the time. You know, whatever, move fast and break things, but you know, don't get broken into, right? Don't have a, don't have a breach. Uh, and just sort of nobody can keep up on it. What do you see as like the root causes for it? I mean, why aren't we embracing it, right? Like, why isn't security naturally moving into uh, into being at the core? Well, one is that it's hard. I mean, we as a species will tend to optimize for the easiest thing, you know. And nobody has yet made it super convenient and easy to do security. You know, we are lazy. We take shortcuts. You know, it's, it's, it's all the things. Like, you know, how do you develop a personal culture of, like, staying fit? How can you find a thing that works for you? You know, not everybody wants to be the gym person. You know, for me, I've found a thing, which is that I like cycling to work. And you make sure that some of the time you really boost it, get your heart racing, and that's going to help you out. But, you know, like, all of the things, flossing your teeth... <laughs> Brushing your teeth, the stuff you try and teach your kids to do. How do you sort of make that fun? And basically hygiene factors is just something that we're not good at. So, you know, I, I think that the, the, in terms of that delta between current behaviors and changed behaviors, we really need to understand how to package and make security, as I say, a more a simple thing. And, you know, I don't want to get too carried away, but try and make it fun. I think making security fun is key. I, I agree with that. I find I do a lot of talks about security, right? And 
security fundamentally is boring. I mean, it's it's insurance, it's risk reduction. It's not it's not an exciting thing. You haven't built anything. You don't have something to show for it. Uh, but hacking is fun. You know, hacking is is invigorating. You know, it's something where you feel uh, you feel like there is a a problem, a challenge. You know, I want to break in, mm-hmm. and I've succeeded. So that's definitely one means to do it in the education side. Definitely relates to the like sort of this desire to make security fun, but you know, there's just all this heaviness of of responsibility, right? There's no no room for error, and it's hard. It's hard to have fun in that uh, in that context. Well, I think that's a really interesting example, and and that's one where as an industry we we are beginning to do a bit better. And if you just think about rewarding people at all different levels, and sometimes it's just acknowledging them. But, you know, bug bounties, but just thinking about when somebody identifies a flaw, dealing with it in the right way so that everybody feels like, A, they're acknowledged, but B, that the problem was dealt with. Because, you know, what you don't want to be is a situation where someone identifies a problem with your code, um, they come to you, you know, they bothered to come and tell you about it rather than just announcing that they found it, Or selling it it on the black market or something. Or selling it on the black market. So how do we reward them and how do we make sure that, you know, there's the social factors, but also, yeah, like paying them, you know, you look at some of the things. Again, I feel like that as, as an industry, if it's going to be fun, it has to be rewarding. I mean, we're certainly pretty good as an industry at, at supporting ego-driven behaviors. <laughs> so maybe we need to think about, about that a little bit more. But definitely paying people for identifying bugs, and if not that, at least do the, hey, it's such and such found this thing and you know send them some you know send them some socks for goodness sake you know whatever it is but i think that that's one that we're beginning to do a little bit better on but as you say it tends to be for the the hacker aspect rather than the hygiene aspect yeah. that's the defender it's hard it's 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 a little bit more uh, sexy or you know, kind of compelling to be on the red team you know to be on the one that's sort of breaking in versus to be the one defending I find uh, I find the same sentiment when I worked in security and then kind of moved into ops and now back in security. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I felt like you know if you if you go to Black Hat or any security conference when you're back you kind of want to curl up in a corner and cry right. There's no there's no sort of a, everything is the world's against me mindset. While when you go to a Velocity or to, you know some big sort of DevOps conference, uh, everybody's kind of together and singing Kumbaya. And it's like, you know we can make the web better. Uh, you know there's a community of people that uh, that love this and that together we're going to make uh, make the world a better place. Kind of lacks in security. I do like. I think there's a, f- a set of conferences, you know, or community mindset that embraces security. I love that bug bounties are are getting more uh, more widely adopted. Uh, conferences like uh, like DevSecCon is running mm-hmm. now. That so that one has more sort of security consciousness. Riley's trying to do this with Riley Security to be more kind of a, a positive, you know, be the defenders conference. So there's definitely uh, elements of it. I still feel like you know we're we're sort of not gamifying. We're not getting that. No, and it's it's very early days, you know, and I I, I think that to, to draw parallels, if we think historically, testing was not something that developers did. You know, they're like, no, I'm a coder, I write code. You know, I, I let the people that aren't quite so good do the testing, or you know, that's that's for someone else. And of course, now that sort of sounds absurd. Of course, developers that do their own testing, but if we look at the things they are currently doing that with, clearly, you know, unit testing is is canonical. You know, we. We understand that, and that is something that we now do. But thinking about test coverage, clearly, you know, functional testing, there are areas that we are doing more. But security testing is still not something that we've made easy enough. 
and then baked into the tool chains. But I think the fact that we were able to take testing from something that somebody else did to something that we now do ourselves and take pride in, and you know, you get people you know bragging about how many tests they wrote yeah. for like a few lines of code. You know, that revolution, we do need to be thinking about that sort of, those approaches in security. Do you think there's examples of kind of key shifts if you look at indeed, you know, testing and, and embedding that? Were there kind of key means of success that helped us drive this to the mainstream? I use testing as well as an example of something that we want to do it, but it's hard to kind of pinpoint how did we, how did we tip that balance. I'm not sure if it's entirely tipped. Testing still needs more love, but how do we move it into the mainstream? Well, it's a really good question. You're always looking for sort of patterns of success and and how this stuff um, took off. You know, and I think some of it was kind of to do with resource constraints, and you know, and that's always an interesting one because at the moment it very often feels like we don't we don't have a lot of resource constraints, at least in availability of of software and hardware resources. But you know, look. Kazuki Kawaguchi was sitting there at Sun Microsystems and he didn't want to be waiting for others, right? So he was like, well, I've got this server under the desk. I'm going to build this thing called Jenkins. And, you know, I know that these days, oh, you know, oh, no, I'm going to use Travis or Circle or whatever else. But the simple fact is, is that notion of actually we've got some resource here that we can use and we're going to use it ourselves to become more effective. There's some interesting things there. There's, there's, he was an individual that's made a really big impact, I think, on the industry in terms of thinking about testing. Mm-hmm. Um, he acknowledged that it was good and important. I, I know that a lot of people are like, wait, the user experience of Jenkins is not super mm-hmm. great. But you know, we're talking about a tool, it, it was a lot easier to use because it was something that someone could do themselves. And he is profoundly about how do we just make things actually easier for people. It's difficult because over time a product becomes so much bigger and there's so much other stuff and there's so much configuration. But I think the spirit of the work that Kasuki did is definitely something that we can all all learn from. Because to me, he, in terms of the tool, and he as an individual, changed the industry. And you know, it's it's dangerous to, I think, do too much hero worship or the idea that one person changed the world. But sometimes the right tool at the right time hitting a movement where people are like, yeah, we need yeah. to do more testing can be super effective. Yeah, agreed. I think making something easy is a core success factor, it seems, in pretty much everything that we do. And the less visible it is, or the less naturally visible it is, the more important it is that that it be easy. It's kind of there's the level of you care. And there's the level of how easy it is, or the level of friction that it creates. And you need the friction to be lower than the level that you care, right? You need to care more than it is hard. So you know, yeah. we spend a lot of time talking, and also the, the news and breaches kind of help us a little bit growing how much people care. Uh, but then we have to lower the bar. Where for the typical security tool, that that other line of how much friction it is, how how hard it is to use, sometimes how expensive it is to use, is super high. Uh, so you know you just don't care enough to uh, to mobilize to action. It's very interesting because you know his, we, we've been through this period. And as I say, I, I think security has sort of failed in a sense. Um, but one of the things there is is also just the nonsense spoken by you know because you get you know you read the consultant reports and it's like oh you know after a breach a business is going to have this huge problem it might be share price. 
And there were these made-up, spurious, oh, they will have gone out of business within three years. Let me tell you, all of the large companies have had significant breaches, and they're still there, right? Yep. But sometimes stuff does begin to change. You know, sometimes people do lose their jobs. And I think at the moment, certainly what we're going to see with, like, GDPR as a regulation, that's going to really concentrate the minds. I mean, you know, when you as a company know that negligent breach can cost you 4% of global turnover yeah. if you're doing business in Europe. Yeah, you will invest in, in keeping that from happening. You will invest in keeping that from happening. Yeah. And, and if you're investing in keeping that from happening, you're hopefully, as we understand today, investing in people and the tools that they want to use. And, and yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there is a, a trigger that is fairly universal in getting people to do stuff. And that is to pay them. Yep. Yep. So, you know, I think works. rewarding people for better behaviors is a big part of, of changing them. Interesting to see if people explore sort of security champion rewards uh, inside the engineering team. Say, okay, in the engineering team every month or whatever, we will, you know, give some substantial reward, whatever, if it's financial or, or like send you off on a vacation or whatever it is, uh, or just bragging rights even, uh, that comes in. You know, for the person who has contributed to security the most this month, or or something along those lines. Well, it's super important. Look, I mean, and but it's it's all as you say, it's all to do with the fixations we yeah. have. Like, we don't want to reward maintenance. Like, oh, maintenance is bad. Well, let me tell you, I don't want the bridge I'm driving over to to collapse. Yeah. You know, if I think about my house, sure, it, you know, just slap on some paint is great, but actually, you need to, you know, if you're doing a window frame, you've got to take the paint off. You've got to repair the putty. You've got to let it dry properly. You know that's how you're going to get results. But we don't, as a culture, reward maintainers, teachers, nurses, immigrants doing shitty jobs that actually, you know, in many cases, uh... operate the (laughs) thing we live in. And then we just want to support the people that are in marketing. I mean, I, I think that we need to, as a culture, you know, I think that's part of the problem because security is maintenance, right? It keeps the lights on. It's not necessarily the cool new thing. And I I think that's part of the challenge. Indeed. It's invisible, right? It's not, you don't get rewarded. If you you invested a lot in security and you didn't get breached, you know, like if if, if you bought an amazing new lock for your door and nobody broke in, you know, was that investment worthwhile? Right? Mm-hmm. There's no, there's, there's no clear indicator. You know, it doesn't hurt until it hurts really bad <laughs> that you didn't invest. But there's no like intermediate feedback loop to say, oh look, you know, some of the pain went away because I invested, you know, this amount in security. And it's really beautiful when you see it done right, actually. Yeah. So uh, there's an organization. It's a roll up of I think five Blue Cross Blue Shields uh, in the states, HCSC, right? And so they are under a regulation called high trust. And high trust is difficult because, in a way, it's an old-fashioned standard. It's not amenable to the cloud because auditors need to come in and actually check out the data center, right? So that's the, the bad news. The good news is when you, when you look at the, sort of the, the degree of probity and care and concern that HCSC is applying to that medical information, that's really good to see. You know, yeah. They have a culture of, you know, they don't just go, oh, okay, we've got high trust, so we're okay. They're like, no, no, we need to take everything as far as it can go because this is people's healthcare information. I mean, you know, compare and contrast. It is staggering 
to me. And, uh, you know, it, this isn't a security flaw in a sense, but it is a, a, a we don't actually care about things. So, yeah, one of the NHS trusts wanted to get better results. Well, it was either liver or kidney cancers. And let me tell you, if, if you have one of those things, you don't give a shit about the security of medical information, right? You just want... But they just said to Google, here is, like, over a million medical records. Go and see if you can fix the problem. Now, on the one hand, okay, good. I want Google, machine learning, deep mind, looking at uh, improving healthcare outcomes for cancers. I mean, no doubt. But on the other hand, they just dispensed with all of the normal clinical controls concerning user and patient data in doing that. It's sometimes quite staggering how little respect we have for this information. But how do we balance that with pace? I mean, today, you know, one of the uh, buzzwords of the day is digital transformation, right? And, and really, at its core, it's all about speed, right? It's all about the fact that you want to mobilize, uh, react to a market need faster, you make your development process continuous, you tap into kind of cost-effective technologies like cloud and the likes, and you, know, you, you build up and you move faster. Uh, but if you move faster, you know this is again the sort of the move fast and break things. You're taking risk. We've we've climatized or so sort of we've accepted the functional risk of it in, in the DevOps mindset, right? So mm-hmm. it's okay. You know the the gain from moving faster and uh, and and uh, seizing an opportunity is greater than the occasional risk of having broken something and you know it didn't work right your system went down or it's a system granted you also need to you know do what you can to prevent that from happening but security is not as forgiving you know you can say oh, listen i move fast and you know once every year or two i'll get broken into and my data will be stolen i guess how do you balance you know this this uh this sort of healthcare organization this sort of blue cross blue shield uh, mother company with you know, they will get obsolete if they don't move at the pace of the market and adjust their offerings. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you, do you see? Like, do you feel like there are some core guidelines? Is it always a judgment call? Like, where do we? Uh, where do you think we sit there? Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic question, and and you know, we're certainly under pressure to do, to move more quickly. We all are as 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 organizations. But you know, you use the phrase you know, move fast and break things a couple of times, right? And that's like famously. You know, a Facebook maxim. Well, they literally broke democracy, right? And and we're still feeling those those repercussions. And you know, so quite interesting today. I think the U.S. Treasury uh, apl- is applying some sanctions against the Internet Research Agency in in Russia, right? So I'm you know I'm a little bit cautious of don't worry, it'll all be okay, because that was hey, it's just social information, <laughs> it's just Facebook, right? And yet, the law of unintended consequences means that if we have no sense of a precautionary principle, really bad things can happen. And, you know, the reason we have regulated industries is because bad shit can happen. You know, I was looking at pictures uh, earlier this week. Someone had just posted some beautiful pictures of exploded steam engines, you know, with all the pipework just splurging out like a Cthulhu, you know, because it is. It's like this spaghetti of pipes, right? And they're beautiful, but you wouldn't want to be the person driving that, right? And if we we think about boilers, regulations around boilers 
I want that. Yep. You want to keep that from happening in your house. Yeah, I don't want that to happen (laughs) in my house, right? I want strong regulations about carbon monoxide, making sure that we have regular audits of uh, boilers and, and stuff like that. I want a certified professional to, and, you know, here's me doing the opposite side. I said security failed, but I still want a certified professional to deal with, with, with those things. So I think that it sort of gets to maintenance. And speed is great, but I, I, I think that, that, again, as a culture, would it really hurt to just take a step back and say, you know, actually, it's probably a good idea to do this right. Uh, you know, so it's, yeah, so does HCSC get obsoleted because Google doesn't, isn't held to those standards? I don't know, but I, I'm still actually glad that that's there. And as I say, GDPR is going to be a complete shit show. You know, it's going to be some U.S. company is going to complain that this is just the EU trying to mess up U.S. companies. There's going to be legal problems. You know, people will go out a bit. It is going to be a mess. But actually, the ideas of, you know, right to be forgotten you may sort of disagree with it, but, you know, privacy is becoming important again. And I think almost that as a driver for security becomes absolutely key. And and so speed is important, but just as a culture right now, uh, I think it would be good to take a step back and say, actually, um, let's reintegrate security into everything we do. Let's have some ownership of, of that. Would it really hurt to just move a little bit more slowly? I think the the problem, or maybe I would say, I think the opportunity lies to an extent in new foundations, new best practices, new tools that allow us to walk that line a little bit better. Um, when you when we kept kind of referring to Google here, and in a sense, I, don't know, I would kind of venture that Google's security is probably no you know no worse, if not better, than that Blue Cross Blue Shields uh, company. And you know, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I know it's like a loose statement, uh, but it's definitely pretty darn good, right? It's not oh, no, uh, I, bad. No, 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 not implying otherwise. But when you look into why, you know, like why would you think that that's the case? It's not because you know they have larger security teams. You know, they they do have large security teams, but I I would wager that they don't have larger per capita, you know, per employee security teams as compared to those healthcare companies. Uh, but what they do have is they have full-on foundations of just how software is built, constraints built throughout the system, tooling and automation that, that just makes security something that is core but still merges that in. That, that applied a different constraint, which is the thresholds to be able to be an engineer in Google is maybe higher, like it might constrain them from growth in that sense. But fundamentally, it's almost like the hope, you know, the holy grail to balance these two, you know, super desirable outcomes, right? Of like mm-hmm. securing my data but moving fast. It really comes back to technology. It comes back to the changes, the substantial changes that have happened as part of, you know, enabling DevOps or enabling cloud to just move some responsibilities to be a part of the fabric of what it is that we're building. I guess the, the one of the key questions is, you know, what does that look like? From a security, I think we get like a portion of it. We get in cloud, right? We get in serverless, offloads a whole bunch of security concerns from you. Mm-hmm. But there's others that you know are there, and they would get emphasis. Um, but there's still there's some concerns that move off it. You know, the right tooling inside the application, 
whatever, like uh, key management systems uh, help deal. It is a technology that helps not quite fully alleviate, but simplifies, makes it easy. So maybe it comes back to your your kind of core point, which is if we had a way to make it easy, we wouldn't need to create too much of that balance between uh, between the moving fast. And, well, yeah, uh, and uh, you know, look, I'm not I'm not here to say nice things about SNCC, <laughs> right? Yeah. But the simple fact is, if we think about the way the world works now, you know, everything is pulling down a package, integrating it to build a new thing. So I need lightweight tools that are able to inspect and understand the dependencies to make sure I don't mess things up. So, you know, you're doing good work there. You know, we could look at at, at some of the works that, that, you know, we're now seeing from Tidelift and the libraries.io folks. These are good approaches because they map to the way that modern developers are thinking about building software. So, you know, I, th- I think definitely tying into or at least understanding that that is the way software is built now, we're beginning to identify, actually, here are some best practices. Like, you shouldn't be, you should not be deploying software if you have not used a tool to understand what's in it. You know, you should understand the license, but you should also understand, as I say, what are the dependencies? We should also understand, if, if we're taking this approach, then... It's that dependency management, not just from a security perspective, is super important. Because yeah. otherwise, you can just have like a left pad example, right? Like, just understand what you're building. Uh, yeah, good luck with that, I guess. <laughs> I think uh, the interdependent web, right? The sort of the fragile interdependent web is indeed a problem. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be contributing kind of with Sneak to, uh, to a part of it. There's also third party services. If, you know, if when Dyn went down with that big DDoS attack a couple of years back, I think. You know, and it takes down a whole portion of the internet mm-hmm. because we all depend on it. Uh, what was it the uh, the NHS side or one of the government side that was serving Bitcoin mining uh, scripts? Because you know one of the third party components that it was using was uh, was compromised. We're definitely interdependent in a pretty big way. Yeah, uh, and uh, and that moves into uh, into the internet uh, and the paths. But you know, hopefully, that's another area where these tools brought us up. You know, these interdependencies is the reason we move fast. It's the reason we create the wonderful technology and enables us to you know do this podcast and record around. And also, to um, your point, look, I mean, it, sometimes it's the pain that makes us do better things. I mean, you know, if you have a heart attack, chances are much higher you're going to give up smoking, <laughs> right? Yep. And getting the the pain, and we have had some really big examples lately, that those that begins to you know change behaviors. But I think it's important to work through the pain and not be like, oh yeah, we won't worry about it. So yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I do think that uh, you know, it is important that, and that's the thing again about GDPR, like someone's going to get hit and they're going to be like, why me? Well, actually it's going to be applicable to everyone. And, and you know what? If you are the one that gets caught, you know, that is bad luck. But if it drives better behaviors... Then you may you know, be better off for it. Yeah, yeah. maybe you needed to. What do doesn't a kill job. you makes you stronger. <laughs> yeah, um, Google unbelievably good at security, right? I, I, I certainly wasn't saying. Uh, I just meant this deep mind thing. You know, if somebody just gives them data to do what they want, then of course, you know, yeah. it is what it is. They're right? not but, held to the same compliance and regulations as well, so that's also a factor. But I think that what we do need to do in making things easy and finding automations and the right tools 
is helping security for the 98%, right? Because, you know, it's even more than that. I mean, you know, Google, Facebook, uh, those folks, the, the engineers that they can hire, the amount of money they can throw at this, most people really struggle to do that. So we do need to have empathy for Marks and Spencers or Kroger or HCSC or, you know, because the, the bottom line is, you know, or, you know, Barclays or, because it, it used to be the financial services companies in London, they were like, yeah, we're going to hire all the best developers. And they're like, oh, yeah, all well, the best developers want to work for the web companies. So they are under pressure now. So yeah, I, you know, and, and I think that's, but that's true of all, you know, that's part of, you said digital transformation, that's where we are. I mean, you know, that's why people are using serverless because infrastructure is hard. Not everybody wants to spend their time foodling around with Kubernetes, right? So, you know, I don't really know what the answer is. Now, one of the things you were like, you know, who, who does it well? I think honestly, partly because the stuff is hard, there are not that many organizations doing this stuff super well. You know, where is the stripe of security? And arguably there kind of isn't one. Nobody has yet done such a magnificent job of documentation, developer experience, that everybody's like, oh yeah, when I'm developing an app, I know I'm using that. I mean, there is a, a missing thing at this point. I think there's a whole new breed of developer-focused security tools that needs to come in. Of course, security is not one uh, one thing, right? Like security is kind of this whole, it's like operations. There's not one operations mm-hmm. tool. There's uh, specific segments of it. Uh, but hopefully, like this whole sequence of tools that come in that, that operate in that fashion, right? That help us build. But developers need to be given the budget to, to use those yep. tools. And the right? time. Because at the moment, it's still security is off to the side with all this money that they're spending on ridiculous firewall products you know, some of that money needs to be taken out of the hands of those organizations and, and driven into development and engineering so that it can, it can begin to, to spend that money on, on third-party services that help them make more secure software. Indeed. So we've been chatting here, and I've got all sorts of thoughts, but we're already uh, far longer than planned. Uh, I want to ask you one question uh, that I try to ask every uh, guest that comes on the show, uh, which is, um, you know, if you had one suggestion or one pet peeve that you have around the security space, you know, like one practice that you would want people to embrace or 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 stop doing, what would that be? A pet peeve. I think it is probably. Something around, you know, forgetting the most basic thing, which is that, you know, you can do all you want with tooling, everything else, but, you know, the truth is, is the easiest and best attack vector is always humans. And we're so prone to social engineering. And I think security has to be about risk management and understanding those risk factors. And sometimes it becomes too much about, oh yeah, we'll come up with a technical solution. There's no technical solution to human stupidity, right? And, and people will always be gamed, which is not to say we need to you know, attack people. We need to have some empathy for the fact that, that people will make mistakes. So I guess that's the, you know, it annoys me sometimes where you just, you know, people are like, oh yeah, this is a solved problem. Truth is, there are no solved problems. 
Yeah, yeah, indeed. You know, humans are often the weakest link, and that's going to be reality. So we need to deal with it. Cool. Well, thanks, James, for coming on the show. There's a whole, whole slew of things we need to get you back on to chat about some more things. Uh, well, the and good thing is, is that you're about 100 yards away, so that should be <laughs> That definitely helps. So thanks for coming on, and uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show, or want us to cover a specific topic, find us on Twitter at The Secure Depth. To learn more about Heavybeat, browse to heavybeat.com. You can find this podcast and many other great ones, as well as over a hundred videos about building developer tooling companies, given by top experts in the field.